This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. Welcome to Dishy Mix. I'm your host, Susan Bratton. And on today's show, you're going to get to meet David Spark from Spark Media Solutions. Now, I've known David for a long time, and I see him at pretty much every conference and event I go to because what he's been doing is what he calls brand journalism. And you might think of as custom publishing or content marketing. He builds editorial. He produces videos and content that's associated with a brand, and that helps a company associate themselves with an industry issue. So we're going to talk to David about how he creates this content at primarily at events, and that gives a company a major voice around an issue or a, or a subject matter that helps them connect with their customers in a really thought leader way. I really like the work that he's doing, and we're going to talk to him about how he organizes it, how he puts it together, how he plans it, when he goes to an event, what he does, and then how he radiates that information for a brand to give them a larger share of voice in a marketplace. So please welcome David Spark of Spark Media Solutions to Dishy Mix. Hey, David. Susan, thank you so much for having me on your show. Are you kidding me? It's my pleasure, man. I'm glad to have you on. I've been watching you work your buns of steel off on every event around, and uh, I really appreciate the work you do. It's super high quality, and I love the angle that you have carved out in your marketplace. I'm fortunate. I haven't seen anyone do it exactly like the way I do it. I mean, there are plenty of other people who produce content at shows and do videos. I mean, I'm far from the only one who does it. Uh, but I have very much have this one-man band style. Uh, I'm actually in Chicago right now because I'm starting to cover an event that's starting tonight uh, called Social Dev Camp uh, here in Chicago. And then I'm off to Las Vegas to cover uh, VM World. So actually, you caught me at a, at a good time. I'm about to do two different shows. Excellent. All right. So why don't we start with a level set, David? Explain. Uh, let's just say that you're going to a client and you're explaining what you do and how it works and what it costs and the overarching concept. So think about us listening to you right now as being a prospect. How do you explain this so that it makes sense to us and we're a yes? Most companies want to be visible in social media and search. That's just an overarching issue. One of the issues that I keep impressing upon them is that you need to create content, of which sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. One of the other big issues is the desire and the need to uh, be visible in your industry and to connect with influencers. And all of this, every single thing I just said, can be had super cost efficiently by producing a content at a live event. Yeah, you've got everybody there. Right. They're sometimes standing around and it's great to use their brains and get all that stuff down on video, audio, etc., right? Right. I mean, it's you are the things that cost the most about content production is gathering the assets. That's just the simple fact of the matter. That is where the biggest cost is. And one one of the things I sort of impress upon a client like uh, like one of my past clients was a company called the CMO Club. And they'd have like about 60 to 100 CMOs, VPs of marketing in one room. And if I, you know, if they said to me, 
I want you to go and interview 20 CMOs, VPs of marketing for different, you know, you know, B2B companies or whatever. Well, if there was no event involved, if I was not going to a conference, the cost of doing something like that is astronomically high because let me explain all the processes involved. You have to, I have to call the media relations department. I have to tell them what this is for. I have to get my questions pre-approved. I got to hire a crew. I got to bring them down. I got to set up a three-point lighting. Now we're talking thousands per video where in my, the way I operate, because I'm doing it in quantity, I can bring it down to just a few hundred dollars cost per video. And, you know, it's just the cost differential is huge. The connections are huge. The relationship benefits are huge. We, you know, that's one of the actually the enormous benefits. So that's really one of the major reasons it's done. And then then I show them the examples of my work and uh, how happy clients have been. And they're like, all right, let's do it. All right. So tell me about, I want you to come to a conference. I'm a brand. I want to capture a lot of content. What kind of content would you recommend we capture? Uh, what kind of people from the organization, what kind of briefing do we need to do? Let's get it set up and then we'll go to the what happens on site and what happens afterward. Right. So there's a whole pre-production process that we go through and like the questions you very much asked are the questions that are asked. So what kind of event, you know, ideally we want an event with as many visuals as possible because we are producing videos and also we do other kinds of content too. Um, People get very jazzed by video, but believe it or not, video doesn't do the traffic numbers that traditional just good old-fashioned blog posts do. So a lot of my content production events are me just sitting with a computer, typing and writing the summary of a session, believe it or not. And then also when I produce the videos, there'll be uh, content that goes alongside it. There's, you know, a description of the video as well. Um, so, for example, uh, one of my clients that I'm going to VMworld for, uh, it's a company called VirtuStream. We went through a whole process of they identified some of the influencers that they'd love to have on camera, some of the people who are speaking at sessions that they would love to have on camera. And then I always, when I talk to a client, I say, give me a list that's way too long. And here's the rationale behind that. When you're at a conference where there are thousands and thousands of people trying to find one person, so literally they'll go, oh, we want to interview with these five people. Well, then it's like needle in a haystack, or I have to set up interviews beforehand. And I will just tell you, that whole process of trying to set up interviews beforehand, nightmarish, because I won't be able to do the quantity that I can do, because I usually do, at bare minimum, 10, I'll shoot 10 videos a day, of which we'll post-produce them. But I've done even more. I've done as many as like 25 videos in a, in a given day. And that has to do with a lot of different factors and it has to do with setup and the and the physical sort of um, uh, makeup of the event of where if I have to physically run to different locations to get every interview. I'm usually a fan of just give me the list of names and I'm going to try to get as many of these names on this list as possible. And so far it's worked out because you do kind of naturally run into a lot of these people, especially when you go as press, because I go as media only covering the event that I just happen to be sponsored by this company. And that's the big thing. Okay. You're at the event, you're shooting video. I love the idea of writing up there. You know, usually they've got some kind of a panel that they're on or whatever. Uh, so that gives you incremental content. So you're shooting video, you're doing session write-ups. What other kinds of content might you produce or would you, could you produce during a two or three day event for a company? So the two other, probably the most popular videos I produce is one of them, I call them party videos where I'll just ask a single question 
And it's usually kind of an open-ended question that really gets to a personal issue. Like uh, I was at this uh, um, RSA conference, which is a big security conference for Tripwire, and I asked people on the show floor just one question. I said, what do you think is the most overhyped issue in security right now? And what was funny is almost everybody said the cloud because that was the big issue at the at the conference. And it actually, as a result, it turned out to be very, very funny as a result. But what I do is I'll get like 20 people's answers to it. We comp it all together. What's really funny is when two people say completely diametrically opposed things and you edit them together, makes it a really fun video. So those I call my party videos. Then I do what I call end of show report videos, which look very much like a news video where um, my head is framed to the side. And I've been at the event two, three days. I sort of put together a summary of all the things that I've seen at the event, turns it into a five minute video. And then I do uh, my editor makes over the shoulder graphics of what we're talking about. And especially if there are photos that were shot at the event, either I shot them or the event shot them. I'll include those in the over shoulder graphics. Those usually do really well. Uh, those sort of summary of the day or summary of the show events, because people kind of want a synopsis of everything that went on. Now, uh, any other kinds of content that you also create or that you've always wanted to and no one's ever done it or anything like that? I'm, I'm kind of looking for the, you know, the full panoply of possibility as far as content creation during an event for a brand. I haven't done a comic strip yet, and I'd like to do that. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't produce it. I'd hire a, an artist to create something like that. But uh, that would kind of silly. Well, I've done tons of podcasts. I produced two different podcast series for Sprint, but those weren't actually specifically at an event. Um, and a lot of article writing. And I also have sort of different styles of article writing for, so like for a panel session. Um, it's very hard to have a unified story in a panel session because people are always kind of speaking their mind and they go off. So usually what it does is become the bullet point, a series of bullet point sort of comments and tips, like here's what people were saying. And that becomes kind of a, a good way to cover a panel session. Unlike if it's just a single person talking, then you can kind of get a whole story going because often they also have slides that accompany it. Um, we have, uh, those are pretty much the most common ones. And then also, excuse me, we do lots of demo videos of products. So if we want to cover products that are on the show floor or anything that's weird that's happening on the show floor. Heck, I was at Interop this year, and one company had a mechanical bull there. Well, I have to shoot that. I mean, that's funny. That's entertaining. It's silly. And the guy, they had a guy who was a barker who was acting silly about it, and he was challenging people. He goes, I'll give you 20 bucks if you ride this for eight seconds. And so I had to capture all that, and that became actually a really popular video as well. So I, I talked with my clients of, like, we need structure, but we need to give me some liberty. So, like, when I see the mechanical bull, I, I you let me shoot the mechanical bull. That kind of thing. Now, what about tweets and Facebook pages? What are you doing with those two channels? Really good question. So what I always do is when I produce all the videos, um, so the two things I do. Often I act as a one-man band, shoot all the videos, and we post-produce them in a week. But in some cases, and this is what I always recommend, it's just more expensive, um, I'll bring a video editor on site. And the advantage of doing that is the immediacy of the content. People's interest in the content of a conference is extremely heightened while the show's going on. A week afterwards, not as strong. So that's why it's always advantageous to try to produce as much at the event. Now, I've done things where I'll shoot it with a flip video camera and I can post and I can produce it right away. The problem is you don't get that sort of nice post-produced uh, production touch with the lower third graphics and uh, 
other graphics or animation that might go in the video as well that are sort of, you know, stables of the company's sort of look and brand. And that's what we always post-produce the videos with. But if that's not as important, uh, we can shoot the videos with a flip camera and get them up literally within an hour. Um, or you can, if you're willing to spend the money, we can get a video editor on site. So uh, getting to your question about Twitter and Facebook, the reason that that's important in terms of how fast the content goes out is if it's going out while the event's happening, then we can start tweeting the videos while they're happening and getting response. I mean, I, uh, in both cases, the RSA conference, my Twitter handle and my client's Twitter handle were the most retweeted handles at the event because we were pushing the content out while the event was happening. Um, so it's always a good idea to take advantage of that. The other thing that's really important, and this is why it's always a good idea to interview influencers, is, you know, I interview you, Susan, and you you go out of your way to want to help me out. So after I interview you, I send you an email and say, hey, by the way, your video is up and you end up tweeting it out or maybe Facebooking or blogging or whatever you do. Influencers become influencers because people are recording them, because they're getting their opinion out. So any way that I can record it for you, let you know it's out, you will inevitably tweet it out. And what the huge advantage of that is, is now I have access to your audience, which I may not have had beforehand. But the fact that I interviewed you, recorded it, let you know it's available. Now I have access. All right. After the event, if if it is in fact of most interest during the event, what are some of the things that you do at an event to take advantage of the fact that everyone is there that you can stage over time to keep, you know, you don't want to have this big blip of content. I would imagine you'd like to have a nice steady state of content always going out to establish yourself as a market leader. So what are some of the things you can do at the event to get content that is more evergreen over time? Well, that all depends on what the topic is. Yeah. So if there's, if there's a big breaking news story, um, we're not going to get it out faster than the trades are. They just, the trades are going to get it out faster than us. So I don't even push that. Um, the, in some cases, you do want a big bulk of content at the event because then it sort of raises your profile. But yes, one of the advantages of producing all the event is now, okay, now we have a bunch of assets. Like, so I went to this one conference, uh, shot 25 videos, and now my client has assets to roll out over time, uh, which is great. Most of the content at the event, it all depends on the event, is kind of evergreen. I was at, it was a CRM conference for a client, Zoho. Um, that's pretty evergreen content, CRM. Uh, evergreen, let me be, uh, really evergreen for maybe five, six months. You know, nothing in technology lasts beyond that. So, you know, I'm qualifying that content, but it all depends. You know, like for example, so if I'm trying to interview people at CES, which I've done before, well, if it's a late breaking product like a tablet, well, I'm not going to get that out right away. The trades are going to get that out before me. But if it's content that can last a little bit longer, then we can push it out. It it all depends the nature of the conference and what the client's objective is in general. We can kind of work that out. The other thing is they may say there's one thing that's going to break and I want to get this out right away. Well, then I'll change the way I do the video production or the writing of that and we'll get it out right away during the event. All depends. What are some of the things that you do for the marketing person and what are some of the things you do for the CEO to help increase their credibility in the marketplace. And I think they're probably 
potentially some different things. And uh, the marketing person hires you and they hire you to promote the company and the senior executives, but they'd like some publicity too. How can you help them? The big thing here, I think, is connecting with the influencers. That's the critical part. So like we talk about the pre-production process, it's about um, finding who those key influencers are. And a lot of times they're not even on their radar because the, the traditional tech uh, technique of having a relationship with an influencer or a press person is, hey, would you come by our booth and you know see our demo for 10 minutes? And it's a whole thing of pay attention to us. So, so my argument why you hire our company is let's pay attention to them. Let's show interest in them. And by doing that, it's the initiating the relationship. I'm caring about you. I'm showing what I care about you. And that way, that will in turn come back to the marketing department, come back to the CEO in different ways. The marketing department will now realize, oh, I got this relationship with an influencer. So the next time I want to talk to them about, hey, we got a new product release, it's going to be a much easier call rather than kind of a cold call like I'm bugging you. Like, hey, you remember we interviewed you at the big conference? Well, just so happens we have this new thing that's available. Thought you might be interested. It, it's a much easier call to handle. Now, with the CEO, if now that you have relationships with these influencers, if they need their opinion on something, they want to get their input on something, or they want to bring them for like a, um, a brainstorming session, once again, so much easier because we started the relationship. My whole attitude is, you're hiring our organization to either begin or foster better relationships rather than having this um, relationship of pay attention to me, pay attention to me. Let's pay attention to them. And inevitably, because of the way a relationship works, they're going to care about you. That makes sense. And what about content distribution? You create these videos, you create articles, you create tweets, you create blog posts. That's all oriented toward the company pushing it out to their channels, to their friends, fans, followers, subscribers, whatever, customers, prospects. What can you do besides getting the influencer that you interviewed to promote that piece of content to their audience. So there's some other ways that you can get distribution for the content you're producing. Right. So um, so the classic you described, the classic is we produce this content, it goes up onto the client's blog, which, by the way, if you don't have a blog, highly recommend you get one. That is the best way to handle it. So that's the primary way. But one of the things is I not only... I do this brand journalism thing, but I have, have been and still continue to be a tech journalist. Uh, I have over 15 years experience in more than 40 media outlets. What that also means is I got hundreds of relationships with media outlets that love our content. They love it a lot. And so what I can do often and my relationships, they vary from extremely good to I barely know these people. Um, you know, like I met them once, but what I'm saying is, we have these relationships where we can distribute content on other sites. Now, I should qualify that almost all of our clients are in the tech field or like tech marketing field, if you will, so marketing and tech. Um, so, you know, the healthcare industry, I don't really have any contacts, of, you know, in sort of media distribution there. But in tech and social media, uh, I got lots of media, uh, relationships there that want to publish our content. So not only we will publish it on your site, but we can get it published on other sites as well, sites to get a lot more traffic than yours. And that's usually really good if I'm working with a client and they're just launching their blog, you know, where they have essentially zero traffic. So if we put up all this content on their site, no one's going to come. 
So if we put it up on other sites to get more traffic, then it sort of announces to the world, by the way, we have a blog, we have all this content, all this traffic. So that's one of the best ways to do it. Another really good technique is we get access to, we can often get access to the media list or just do some basic research of people who are influencers in the space that may or may not be at the content, especially if they're not at the, at the conference, excuse me. I will reach out to them and say, hey, I'm going to the conference. I'm shooting a bunch of videos. I don't know if you are or aren't going to be there. A, if you're there, I would love to interview. If not, you can have our content if you'd like it. Or if there's someone you'd like us to interview or some story you'd like us to get, I'd be happy to go out, try to go after it for you. Well, this works really well because I'm giving them something. I'm not asking, you know, would you write about us? But I'm saying, hey, here's some content from us. And by the way, I should mention that... uh all the content is branded with the client's info on it. So the uh, the cube on the microphone, known as a microphone flag, has the client's name on it. Uh, we put a bug in the corner with the client's name. So if this video goes anywhere, everyone knows sort of who who it came from, you know, who was the one who sort of sponsored it. How do you research influencers? How do you figure out who influencers are today in this world? If I'm doing it all by myself, it's actually not too hard. I mean, we actually have tons and tons of tools out there. Like, so for example, um, I'm doing one thing where I have to find, uh, recruit, uh, people who are, uh, influencers in the recruiting space. Well, one way is to just do a search on recruiting blogs and see who's writing for it. And it's a lot of just digging around, like going to the masthead, finding the email addresses, the Twitter handles, and whatnot. Another thing is, say you want to find, I had to do another thing where I had to find the most popular marketing podcasts out there. Well, you know what? You can go to iTunes, go into the marketing section, and it's sorted by the top 20 most popular marketing podcasts. Well, go through all 20 of those, find out, you know, who's making their email addresses or Twitter addresses. Another technique is go to a site like Listorious, listorious listorious.com, which has lists, Twitter lists that other other people have created, and do a search on, say, marketing podcasts or recruiting. Someone else has created a list of the most important people in recruiting or in marketing podcasts. So these are all different techniques of finding who these people are. It's not, they're not like in a very easy digestible way. You really have to sort of manually create this list and find where their email address is and their Twitter handle and stuff. And then just reach out to them and talk to them beforehand um, in a very much a giving way. And that's a key thing. So much, I mean, first of all, I'm always on the press list of all these conferences I go to. And every communications, and I'm I'm not uh, saying there's one case of it not being, every communications to me is, do you want to have a meeting with us? And here's our release, come by our booth. Every single piece of content. I'm taking it the 180, the other way around. Don't come see me. I want to come see you. Where are you? And what opinions do you have? What do you want to talk about? I just want to record it. I'm interested in you. And it's a very, very different way of getting attention. And the fact that a company can hire you to do all that for them is awesome. Because <laughs> it takes a lot of time. It does take a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, and also I, I should mention a lot of my system is really just, um, finding a way to shave two minutes here, two minutes there, two minutes there. I'm able to produce a ton of content in a given day because I, I, I figure out all these ways to shave a couple of minutes, a couple of minutes, a couple of minutes. You know, people always say to me, well, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And I'm like, I can do all of that, but now costs go up and I can't produce as much in a given period of time. I mean, when I see other people producing video at an event, they're two different models. 
it's at least a two to three person crew, or they have set up a a booth with a three point lighting with multiple cameras and they're shooting. Now these are all good ways to shoot video. The problem is with when you set up like a booth space, um, and depending on how the way they shoot it, they may show show the background, but often you don't get the excitement of the space. So often when you see me shooting video interviews with people, you will see people moving in the background. I kind of like to show the excitement of the room. Also, it also makes sense of uh, why you're hearing background noise. I mean, when you see someone doing this who doesn't have experience, they'll go to a to a blank wall and just interview someone against a blank wall. Well, two problems with that. One is you got nat- you got background natural sound, and people are like, "Why is there all this background noise? All I see is a blank wall." And two, it's really uninteresting. You don't get that depth of field, and you also don't get the excitement of, "Oh, we're at a conference right now. This is really cool. I should be looking at this." So that's the other thing. So uh, my technique is just I'm shaving things down to try to get the to do the most with the least. And then also on top of it, um, like if I go to a conference session, let me give you a perfect example of, of a, a quick way to shave two minutes. I know I'm going to go to a specific conference session during a, 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 during a, a, a panel session during a conference. When I go on the trade, on the, the event show page, they will list the names of the people, the companies they work for and their titles. And they'll have a description of the conference. What I will do is pre-write a blog post. I will write, and this will change, I'll write a sort of a guess at the title of the, this, uh, I'll either put the session title in or make up my own title. I will put the names of the, of the moderator and the four panelists down. And I'll write a sort of a, a mention like, we're at the VM World Conference where we were talking about this, this, and this, and here were the panelists and this. That process takes about five, six minutes. If I write that beforehand, then I don't have to deal with that at the show. And it's those little things, and I've got literally a hundred of them, those little things that allow you to produce a crazy volume of content in a short period of time. Because I'm the con- the trade show floor is only open from 10 to 6, and I'm always fighting time. I'm always uh, rushing against time. So anytime you can shave five minutes here and there, you do it. I recently keynoted last week, I keynoted the search engine strategies show in San Francisco. And uh, I got some nice blog coverage for my keynote, three, four different people uh, blogged, uh, blogged an overview of the keynote. And when I saw that afterward, I thought to myself, huh, it would have been a really good idea for me to get the press list and send an email out saying, you know, I'd like to talk to you about my subject matter. And, uh, you know, my goal would be to get more people in that more bloggers in that audience covering my keynote. What would you recommend is the way to turn those tables the way you do and create it uh, a certain? How can I be in service to bloggers so they cover my keynote more? Well, it can be an exchange type thing. So for example, you say you may have one question that comes from your keynote, like, how do I rage my search ranking? I'm just making up a, a a question, and just and I and I would send out that question to all the to the bloggers. I go, hey, I'm keynoting this conference, but then I want to interview you afterwards. Don't don't say interview me because again, this is a self serving thing. I want to interview you afterwards, and here's my question. And you could say it from the stage too, even, and that draws people to you afterwards. I mean, I'm sure you get flooded after keynote. You always get flooded from people, but. If you give someone an action item, come up and I would love to interview you. And, you know, 
if you're getting flooded, you could ask, you know, somebody else to, you know, if you have a partner there to actually be shooting the videos for you. Um, but then, then you're getting all these assets for them. Then what happens afterwards? So you shoot, like, you get 20 quick answers from a bunch of different people. Then you comp that video together and you push it out to those, you know, bloggers that you said, Hey, by the way, thanks again for coming to my keynote. Here's the video that I created of all you guys. So one of two things are going to happen. Either they're going to publish that video, link to it, tweet to it, whatever, and or mention you and link to your blog article or whatnot or any of that other stuff. So you're giving them an asset that is them back to them, but you're also saying, here's another asset that I created. Um, it's not being self-serving. It's saying, here's something that I asked you a question you gave to me and I'm giving it back to you. So here it is. And then you also, if you want, here's the information for my keynote as well. And you're just giving them both assets. And chances are they're going to want to send both out. That was good. Thank you. Just that alone, I thought was a, you know, your whole idea of brand journalism, doing it at conferences, how to leverage corporate speaking engagements, how to create a lot of content and push it out to a lot of channels, and how to approach journalists, bloggers, influencers in a way that you're bringing value to them. These are all, I think, extremely forward thinking, very timely, very sophisticated, very sharp business strategies. And uh, I'm really glad to have you on the show today because you're flipping the model a lot, David. And um, it makes a lot of sense for companies. The thing I'm worried about now that you've come on Dishy Mix is that you're going to have so much business that you're going to have to hire some more people because well, this I've already is one of the smartest. It. You already hired what? Well, so so for example, so I'm hopefully doing this more and I'm and I'm trying to bring in more talent. So yes, I have been hiring talent. So for I bet example- I've got uh, one client, I, I don't want to uh, tease it too much, but they've made a big partnership with a major um, uh, sports uh, industry, whatever, huge, huge. And I know nothing about sports. I mean, as as little as possible could be. I don't I'm know. i you. <laughs> but it just so happens I have a very good friend who's been a sports reporter, radio reporter for 15 years. This guy knows it backwards and forwards. I go, boom. I go, I can take this client. I can take this project. You're going to be my guy on camera. You're going to handle it. Now, he doesn't necessarily have the experience yet. So what I'm going to do is for the first two events, we're going to go out as a two-man crew. And then soon, he's going to he's going to take it by himself. Or I may send a producer out with him. I may do two-man things or one-man things. You know, again, it all depends. But that's the idea. So hopefully, you know, if you're someone out there listening that's in the sports industry, I've got that talent too <laughs> that just came on. So uh, uh, it, it is all about finding people who have that expertise, who have the knowledge, and also have the relationships in the industry. I mean, a lot of time people are taking advantage. Because I've got tons and tons of relationships in the tech industry are trying to take advantage of that as much as possible. Excellent. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I, th- I think this was a really good episode with a lot of really fresh ideas. So I'm really glad. It's always been a pleasure to know you and uh, to see you at all the conferences and to get uh, more insight into how you're working this new angle that I think is really brilliant. So David Spark, thank you so much for coming on Dishy Mix today. Susan. I can't uh, speak any more highly for yourself as well. I have interviewed you too. I know. <laughs> and, and I hope you will link to the, the interviews that you and I have done. And, and the, the thing is, I am so amazingly impressed. And I use you as a model when I talk about, you know, create your own media network. 
you are the model who has done it. So I know this is, you know, how, what Jerry Lewis used to do, you know, with all his guests. He would always kiss each other's asses. <laughs> but no, but, but I am, I'm being honest, honest about this. I truly am completely and utterly impressed with, uh, with what you have done as well. So Thank uh, you, love. kudos shoot right back. Kudos back, back and forth, back and forth in a never ending love spiral with David Spark. <laughs> I'm your host, Susan Bratton. I hope you've gotten some great ideas out of this episode and I look forward to connecting with you next week. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com. 